0: figure out James asked the question, what is I think it was rhetorical, but it 's an eternal question. what is it that causes space between you, fights and quarrels between you and here 's what I've learned I 've discovered and I couldn 't wait to talk about this this morning because I figured this out about in my own life a long time ago, and it 's so mortally embarrassing, but that 's okay because you 've got the same problem and i 'm going to point it out to you you 're going to love this um, here 's what I know this force that 's in me that causes space between me and my wife me and my kids, me and my friends. It's at work in you, too, because you are a human being. And we have, as human beings, this proclivity, this instantaneous inclination to do something, and I'm going to show you what it is, that brings disunity, disharmony, conflict, and not only that, not only does it create space, what it does is it enslaves us to our past and it retards us. From any kind of future growth or transformation. It's a cycle. It's a pattern of living set deeply in our souls, and it will keep you unless you become wise to it. Once you become wise to it, you'll see that you do it multiple times a day. Once you become wise to it, it will help you, but if you don't become wise to it, nothing's changing. Tomorrow is not going to be a lot different than today for you. It's the cycle I'm going to break it to you right out of the gate. It's the cycle of what I'm calling shame and blame. When I get this done, hopefully this morning, you'll not only see that you've been trapped in this cycle, but maybe you'll be able to identify the relationships in your life where this cycle has been at work and caused distance, and you'll get a glimpse maybe of what it's cost you. Stick with me. Let's get started. We're going to jump back to in the beginning. First book in the Bible is a book called Genesis historically believed to have been authored by Moses about 3,500 years ago, chronicling events that obviously happened much earlier than that. What's so amazing about this story is this is as old a story as there is. There is no older story. Yet it, it is so contemporary in what it's diagnosing that as I studied it this week, I literally, I'm like, you know, I wonder if anybody's onto this shame-blame cycle. So I googled it. Psychologists are working all over the world on this concept because they understand how destructive it is in our lives and in our world, the concept of shame and blame. Moses wrote about it 3,500 years ago. It's just amazing to see what God has given us. So jump, jump in with me. Back into Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Okay, I just want to pause there for a moment. You got to own this. Whose image, this is not a trick question, this is the participatory moment. Are you ready? Whose image were you made in? God. You were made in whose image? God. That's right. Now, what's interesting is Moses tells us why. And I'm not sure anybody's ever told you this before. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. You were created in the image of God, not just to be the image of God, but you needed to be created in the image of God so that you could rule and you could reign You were created in the image of God long before there was any other rules or laws or regulations given, long before God gives anything else. You know what he gives us? Responsibility. You were created to live as responsible human beings. He goes on says, God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, this is kind of crazy. I mean, think of what God has created here, right? If you're a literalist and it was seven days or you don't believe it was a literal seven days, any way you want to cut this, what you have is an incredible creation, right? Just, it's unfathomable what God has created, and once he gets done with this, right? Once he gets done, I mean, this is, this is the creation of all creation. I mean, this is just, it's just nuts. What would its value be? You, you couldn't value it. And he takes it, and he says, you're in charge. Here, I'm giving it. I'm giving it to you. I, I own it still, but it's yours, and I, I want you, to, to, I want you to, to rule it and reign in it. Let me explain something to you. I have a used Kia I won't let my kids drive. God took all of creation and said, here you go, you drive it. Now, this is really, if you think about it, just kind of moving forward, it's just a little foretaste of what God would do later with the gospel of Jesus. Think about this with me. Think about the news of who Jesus is. God has sent his son into the world as a sin offering for the world. God is no longer holding our sins against us, but he is reconciling us to him through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is the most important news ever given. Think of the value of this news. This is the most life giving message ever uttered. And what does God say about it? Here you go. Cheers. You're in charge of it. <laughs> Pretty amazing. So, uh, so we get two elements of the story right out of the gate. right? You got the, we're created in the image of God and we we're created in the image of God because we had a purpose for our lives and the purpose was that we were going to be, be, be responsible for all of creation. In fact, if you want to see how much God desired for us to be part of the ruling and reigning with him, Adam immediately starts doing it. He lives up to the responsibilities that God has given him. Now the Lord God formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. There was in the garden pre-fall dignity and work and responsibility if you think about it, right, God gives man this great responsibility and there are no Ten Commandments, there are no laws. In fact, if you think about it, you actually don't need all that many laws and commandments when people are living up to their God-given responsibilities. fact, when it was working right, this is how Moses summed up the situation. He said, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt... A draft, aroused, no shame. Which is really interesting because if you think about it, Moses could have conveyed any emotion there, right? Like, we've read that so many times, we never pause to go, well, why did he say that? I mean, didn't they feel joy? Didn't they feel love? Didn't they feel free? But Moses is trying to communicate something to you and I, and we've lost it over the years, so profound, so core to our design, and we miss it because of its familiarity. In the garden, there was no shame. But that's about to change. you know the story. God lays before man two choices. Actually, he laid before him a lot of choices. Scriptures say there was all kinds of trees in the garden. Decisions passed, way to go, because that's what freedom and love require. Why is there two trees? Why is there many trees? Because that's what path, those, why is there many paths? Why, that's what love would require. And so he provides for them lots of things to have for dinner and he just gives them one plain old instruction. Hey, I've given you all this and you're ruling and reigning all over all. Let me just, you know, I'm your dad. So let me, let me help you out with one thing. You see that tree right there. You can eat all of the, from these, but don't eat of that one. Most of you know the story, pretty ominous warning, but it's not too long later that they do, and they eat of that tree, and here's what's really interesting. Have you ever thought about this before? Because I hadn't until I started working on this. Do you know what gets introduced into the garden? What, What emotion that had never existed before immediately comes into the garden upon the fall? Is it anger? Is it rage? Is it frustration? Is it disappointment? It's shame. Shame. Now, many of us have fought that emotion in one way or another for years. But this is its birthplace. It's the birthplace of shame. For the first time, God's children start to feel, uh, have a sense of inadequacy, uh, of dishonor, uh, uh, of regret. Now, watch what happens. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid. Because that's what shame does. Shame hides. That's why we run out to the mailbox and get that credit card statement before anybody gets home, right? That's why we make sure we didn't leave that receipt on our dresser. Because we do. Shame Shame hides. You hide from God, you hide from others. You know, it's funny, I've been in, in religious leadership for a long time, there's a pattern that it's always holds true. If I'm in deep community with you, and we're in community here at church, and we're in a prayer group together, say, I saw this in, in, in prayer groups over the years, maybe more than any other thing, and all of a sudden, you stop coming, there's almost always a reason you stop coming, and it's not because you're tired. And when I go, what happened? And well, you know, I, I felt like a hypocrite, so I didn't want to. Well, I, I just couldn't do it because I, we hide. So he goes, uh, He said, I heard you walking in the cool of the, gar- uh, in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid, they hid from the, the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And so Moses wants you to see a very clear distinction here. Before there was naked and unashamed. Now there is naked and ashamed. And so the question is, in our shame, and we're only, we only have shame most often when we get caught. In our shame, when we've somehow shirked our responsibilities, we've let someone down, we've done something we shouldn't have done. What do we do? And he said, "I just, just listen to the emotion of God in in these words. Who told you? Who told you? You were naked." And I always read this line, and I hear that just the breaking of the heart of God over his kids because they're experiencing something he never meant for them to experience it's like when you have the first time somebody stole your, your child's innocence you have a little girl for the time she was born oh you're so beautiful God loves you so much oh you're so wonderful you're the prettiest little girl you sign her up for dance class and the, the tutus and the rehearsals and oh you're so beautiful you're so beautiful and third grade comes, and she gets on the school bus, and some kid calls her fat. I just hear the voice of the dad going, "Who told, who told you you were fat? Who told you you were naked?" And just God just flat out asks him, "Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from?" Now, this story is familiar, I know that, and so what happens? We're all very familiar with Adam's response. Here's what, how Adam responded. The man said, yes, we did exactly that, God. You gave me responsibility for all of your creation. You gave me this beautiful woman and you trusted me with her soul. You gave me all of this ownership and I abdicated, abdicated all over. You gave me just one decision, You told me what to do. I didn't listen. God, it's my fault, not hers. Eve, I mean, don't even look at her. God, Eve, you get behind me. I'm the man here. I'm gonna step up and take responsibility for this. You can see right there, that's the John Henry Eisman version (laughs) of how this played itself out. Because that's what I would have done if I had been there. I would have stepped up. Right? I read, I uh, heard one guy this week say several thousand years later, men are still, men still aren't saying what they should say. Most of you know that's not what happened because if shame was the very first emotion felt post-fall, post-sin, sin sin is is kind of a religious word for saying, meaning missing the mark laid out by God. If shame was the first post-fall emotion Blame is the first post-fall relational action, not love. Blame, the first post-fall relational dynamic. They hid, and when they got caught, they blamed. So what did a man actually say? Here's what he said. The woman, that, her, Eve, that woman, the woman that you gave me the one you put here with me I was fine here by myself minding my own business but oh no God you had to go get that woman and you put her with me and she gave me some fruit I mean, okay I ate it but there are two people to blame here God let's look at the characters involved in the story there's me there's that woman that you gave me and there's you Who's to blame? I mean, God, it's, it's the woman who gave me the fruit and you gave me the woman who gave me the fruit. And God, you know how women are. I mean, they can be very convincing. They just nag, 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 nag. I mean, you made them that way and this is all your responsibility. I hate it, but I, I didn't want to eat it. I, what was I gonna do? Welcome to the very beginning of the shame and blame cycle. And I know it really well. Look, I have, I've got, I got a PhD in shame and blame. Have you ever noticed that we have this incredible pattern of blaming others for the conditions of our lives? It's not my fault that things are the way they are. God, it's her fault. It's your fault. I'm the victim here, God. I'm not responsible. So this week, so embarrassing, but... It's a story about Joan and I, and we've been laughing about it together. So this week, uh, this just got lived out in my living room because let me tell you what was happening. So our heat stopped working downstairs. You know, do, do you guys play that game at your house where you see how long you can go without turning the heat on? You know, you just, I'm always hoping for November, you know? And uh, got a little cold, and so, you know, Joan being the weaker vessel, she decided she was gonna, <laughs> she was gonna turn the heat on. And so the heat came on upstairs, but it didn't come on downstairs. And so she said to me, the heat's not working downstairs. Now, to myself, I thought, thank God, that's half the bill, right? But she wanted the heat to work uh, in both zones. So she, uh, she kept nagging me about for, for a, our friend who's a plumber's phone number. So finally, I mean, you know how women are. I, uh, <laughs> I'm joking here. I gave, I gave her the number and she texted the plumber, right? Um, I mean, I probably should have done that, but you saw what Tim, Tim couldn't even carry a stool, so Joan, <laughs> Joan, called, the, Joan called the plumber. And so uh, the plumber didn't answer, so she said, could you please reach out to him? So I did, and I got my friend that's the plumber on the phone, and he said, well, he goes, you know, how long has it been like this? And I said, well, oh, a few weeks, and he's like, well, why didn't you call earlier? And I'm like, well, you know, I can blah, 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 and, so then he goes, okay, well, my daughter's got a soccer game, but I guess since it's freezing and you have no heat, I'll come over and miss her soccer game. So I said, well, you're the man. I really appreciate that very much. And uh, so I rush home. I meet him at the door. And, uh, you know, it's kind of awkward and embarrassing that I made him miss his kid's soccer game. And so he comes in and he flips open the thermostat and he looks at it and he goes, you know this is uncool, right? Now I have to tell you, That's very emasculating as a man when something like that happens. Anybody want to guess what the first words out of my mouth were? You know, I didn't look at that thermostat, but Joan is the one that turned, she's the one that told me that this doesn't work. Now... I would never have called you if I had looked at it, but I didn't look at it because I thought, you know, she's, I mean, it's that woman that God gave me that we're in this situation, so. Now that's funny. But when that relational dynamic piles up over 30 years and one of you actually starts to believe that nothing's your fault and the other starts to believe everything's their fault, that's a pretty sick dynamic. Well now, what's God got left to do? So he, he turns his gaze over towards Eve. Now you have to imagine if you're Eve, like what's she gonna do? I mean, Adam had like backed the bus up, driven it over, right? <laughs> he got to go first? Now what? And so, so here's, here's what happened in Genesis 3.13. God, I am going to step up and do what the man should have done. I listened to the wrong voice. I made a wrong choice. Do with me as you will, God. This is my mess. That's the John Henry Eisman version, too, because that's not what she did. She could have, but she didn't. The Lord God said to the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, what's that serpent It's the serpent, God. The serpent, he tricked me. I mean, God, have you ever had a snake talk to you? I mean, you know, you know how serpents are. They're slimy and they're, you know, I mean, what was I going to do? Plus, God, you put the serpent here. It's not really my fault. Shame, blame. Shame, blame. It's not incidental that the first consequence of the fall is an abdication of personal responsibility for any of our actions. First thing we do, created to reign and rule, created for responsibility, post fall, it's not my fault. The Bible is a book of Proverbs, it's oftentimes referred to as the book of wisdom. How's this for some wisdom? Ancient, Proverbs 19, we're ruined by our own stupidity, though we blame the Lord. And so now I'm really mortified in front of the plumber, feeling like a fool. And so I'm trying to figure out what I can do to shift this blame. I mean, he's missing his daughter's soccer game. So in my mind, my thought is, you know what? I have to make sure he knows that this wasn't my fault. What I'm going to do is I'm going to call Joan in front of the plumber so he really knows it wasn't my fault. So I get the phone out, call Joan up. Uh, hey, Joan. Plumber's here, missing his kid's soccer game. Uh... You know, remember how you told me that the the heat wasn't working downstairs and that you had checked it? Yeah, he opened it up and it's on cool. You know what Joan said? (laughs) Caroline must have done that. I knew I, I would never have done that, but I wouldn't have known to check because Caroline probably thought it worked the air conditioning and so she probably put it on cool. But how would I know that she put it on cool? It's not my fault. Caroline probably did it. When she gets home, oh, my gosh, is she going to get it? It's it's mortifyingly completely true. Right? Which is funny until you're a little girl that gets raised that way. See, here's the truth, deep, profound truth. We blame to hide our shame. We blame to hide our shame. We mess up, we hide, we get caught, and something deep within us immediately goes. It's not my fault. I got to figure out a way to make the deflect, 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 deflect. Sometimes it's other people. Well, it's not my fault, God. I mean, I mean, I didn't want to cheat, but this, you know, my wife is so hard on me. I mean, she's just so nasty and tough. And I mean, what am do I? Do? So I was in the hotel bar, and I didn't know we weren't in an argument. But I just needed some company. Well, God, you, you know, I, I. I shouldn't have done that, or said that, or bought that. But he just keeps lying and cheating, and and, and so somebody needed to do it, say it, hit it, smack it, hide it. That's what we do, we blame to hide our shame. What's interesting about Adam and Eve's first response was, have you ever thought about this? At one level, what they said was completely true. Because they didn't lie. I mean, think about it, right, it really was the woman—it really was the serpent. At one level, it's true. And for so many of us, I mean, I know for some of you this morning, the message you're in really isn't all your fault. There are people to blame, and I don't want to make light of that. Some of you guys have dealt with horrific childhoods, abuse, words spoken horribly over you. Some of you this morning are just in absolute peril because you've been abandoned, you've been cheated on, you've been betrayed, you've been lied to, you've been taken advantage of. There is someone to blame. The problem is, though, when you get caught in the shame cycle, when you just keep handing out blame, you can do that forever, but it fixes and changes nothing. I mean, if you ever want to find peace, healing transformation if you ever want to find real life now this isn't my line but it's so good even if it's not your fault it's your responsibility even if it's not your fault is a biblical principle it's your responsibility let me explain it's the it's the process of taking ownership of your life back from whoever did that There are people to blame, but until you begin the process of forgiveness and then taking back responsibility for your own life, you're not going anywhere. You're just going to be stuck. They still own you, right? Because think about it. The wounding, that wasn't your fault, but the healing is your responsibility. The past, you're right. It's not your fault, but the future is whose responsibility? The choices they made were not your fault. Your choices going forward are your responsibility. And so you can't just let those who were to blame, who were at fault, hold on to your life by relinquishing your power to change and be free. You see this pretty clearly in just the next generation. Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. Only one generation for this blame-shame cycle to lead to murder. Murder. In the course of time, Cain bought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel bought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Why? Well, back story is that God had already instituted a pattern of sacrifice into the garden. He had shown it to Adam and Eve, who had I must have communicated it. It was going to be a symbolic sacrifice of an animal that through the shedding of blood, forgiveness would come covering uh, covering man's sin, man's shame. What God is trying to do, what God did in the garden in covering the shame of Adam and Eve, An animal was sacrificed, blood was spilled, and God is establishing a pattern of sacrifice that's going to to lead right to the atoning, sacrificial work of Jesus. That was the plan. That was the instruction. But Cain, like his parents, didn't follow it. And so the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? See, Cain, if you do what's right, you're Won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, this is interesting because it doesn't say you won't be accepted. But if you don't do what's right, sin is crouching at your door. This is kind of scary stuff. Sin is crouching at your door. It's desire is to have you. But who must rule over it? You. But you must rule over it. You have some responsibility here, Cain. Okay. at the end of the day, you had choices. You made them, and you're mad at me. You want to blame your brother. If you let that pattern take hold in your life, Cain, this shame-blame pattern, it's not my fault, you have to take responsibility, Cain. You can't... Sin is crouching at your door. You've got to rule over it. You've got to step up. Now, I want you to know, I really find some peace in the concept of of let go and let God. I I do. You know, I like to control everything. Sometimes I just need to let go and let God. But I think as Christians, sometimes we just use that to cloak our lack of desire to take responsibility for stuff. God created you and I, and he gave us responsibilities in this world, at our jobs, with our wives and husbands and kids. We've been given responsibility, not over creation, but over his gospel. But we keep handing all of it back to God and going, well, here you go, God. God keeps saying, no, this. here you go. Oh, no, right. here you go, God. We play hot potato with this. What happens when you get caught in the shame-blame cycle is you never take responsibility for any of your stuff. And here's the deal, you can't change what you don't own. The shame and blame cycle just ensures one thing. You're not going to fix what got you into the, me- into the mess because you're never even going to take responsibility for it. You can't blame your way into change. The shame and blame cycle doesn't permit you to take control over everything. It doesn't permit you to fix anything. It just ensures you're going to carry the same issue until tomorrow. One writer said it this way the shame and blame cycle it just sets you up for a repeat performance. I know it may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. And what would happen in your life, in your marriage, in your home, if you stopped for once and just said, God, you're right? I've got to stop blaming. I've got to look for my role in this. I've got to understand what needs to be learned from this. I've got to reclaim my God-given responsibilities for my life and my family and my future and my town. This is isn't just an Old Testament story. Jesus tells the same story. Why? Because he knows what this shame-blame cycle will do to his followers. He tells, Jesus at one point tells the story of a master. And the master was going away on a trip and he left three of his servants in charge of all of his wealth. He had given them responsibility over his stuff. They should have stepped up, and in fact, two of them did. Some of you know the story. The master comes home. The first servant who was given responsibility over five talents, well, he comes back to the master, and he hands him ten. And the second servant who was given responsibility over two talents, he comes back to the master, and he gives him four. But the servant who too had responsibility, he was given one, and he returns one. And what he says sounds very eerily familiar. I don't know if you've ever caught it before, but listen to this. The man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I I was afraid, and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you, because it's not my fault, master. It's yours. You're a mean guy, man. Like, I got afraid, and so I hid. I I know I was given something, and I did nothing with it, but it's not my fault. I think one of the reasons Jesus tells this story is because he knows that so many of his followers, that he would entrust with endless possibilities for their lives, for the world, for the message of the gospel, given the ability to reflect who he is to people, would never take ownership of. The other servants let us know the incredible potential that was available during the master's absence, but the man who buried his talent, he couldn't see what he squandered. Because when you abdicate responsibility, when you blame others all your life, you just simply become powerless to change it. Growing that talent was completely the servant's responsibility, but he was sure it was the master's fault. Let me conclude with this. We were created in the image of God and given responsibility. And the shame blame has resulted in an abdication of any personal responsibility and massive relational breakdown as we just shift blame over and over and over. This week, when it comes to this cycle, can I ask you to just try something a little bit different? Here's why. One more time, participatory. Whose image were you made in? Let me tell you something about him. Because if there's anything that God could have abdicated responsibility for, it'd be us. He didn't make this mess. I mean, think about the relational dynamic afoot. As soon as Adam and Eve commit what would become, had to be the biggest sin of all time, in a sense, it started the ball rolling. It's the most horribly relational action ever. What does God do? He doesn't back out. He doubles down. He comes for them. He doesn't break relationship. He enters and seeks and he moves forward. I mean, the truth is, the mess all around us, we are to blame. We were given huge treasures and blessings. The master left behind work uh, for us to do. But we've made so many bad choices over and over and we've taken responsibility for so few. God, the one in whose image you were made, God could could have just thrown his hands up in the air and given up. He could have walked away. He could have said, I'm starting over. He could have just said, you know what? You broke it. You bought it. God doesn't do that. Whose image were you made in? He doesn't do that. Yet, even though God is actually the only one that has no blame in any of it, he's the singular one who takes full responsibility for all of it. Though Jesus, through Jesus, what does God do? God takes the shame, the shame to us, and puts it on the shoulders of his son, on a cross. See, we remain in God's image, and let me explain what God, God did. God, through Jesus, he takes the blame for all of our stuff, all of our sin, all of our brokenness he puts it on his son. Here's how Paul explained it to the church of Corinth. He says, now it's God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. He owned it. It wasn't his mess, but he owned it set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. God, in whose image you and I were made and given responsibilities, he took ownership of a problem that wasn't his. Now let me ask you a question, you his image bearers. In your relationships with one another, when was the last time you did that? And so today, this week. For all of us that are caught in the shame-blame cycle, I'm telling you, I was in first service and my mic wasn't working right. I'm, I'm worshiping God first service, my mic wasn't working right. You know what I thought to myself? This is Tim's fault. <laughs> I'm about to give you this message. I could have showed up early and done a sound check, couldn't I have Tim? <laughs> But no, it's this worship leader you gave me. Listen, this week, just stick with me. I I know that some of you have had horrible things done to you. I know. And you are in a mess. And you're scared. And you're not who you wanted to be. and You're not where you wanted to be. And it might not be your fault. But it's still your responsibility. For some of you you have made your life's work to avoid shame at all costs god didn't and maybe just maybe if you just stopped the shame blame cycle for a moment if you just got off at the shame part for a moment you might learn something and you might not keep doing it and there might be transformation and healing there and finally on the blame side I don't know who you've been blaming. And I write this talk and I just think about the blame I've been dumping on people for years. My wife, my kids, because it's not my fault. Who do you need to be like God with? And in the midst of relational breakdown, who do you need to go to and go, you know what? That was my fault. I'm taking responsibility back for my life. I'm not blaming you anymore. Whose image were you made in?